Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. We have a few things to go over today. Uh, first things first, I wanted to go over what's going on in California with this uh, governor's recall election uh, happening next month. We're going to get into the details of that, why it's going on, uh, some issues facing the state of California in general that you know led to this point. And uh, we'll go from there. Also, I do have another uh, edition of Upon Further Review. I'll be doing a, sh uh, a, sh a mini-series this time. This is what you would call it. Uh, this time around, I'll be talking about The White Lotus Hotel, recently on HBO. We're going to get into a little bit of, yeah, we're going to get into like a synopsis and going to get into my thoughts on that. And then also without, uh, well, you know, after long overdue we have an mlb update i got some news to go over i'm gonna be going over the standings as well so uh like i said a bit to go over today so let's just go ahead and get right into it of course uh next month we will be having a you know what is called a recall election for the state's governor here in california and uh, registered voters in the state of california in the state of california have petitioned to have current democratic governor gavin newsom recalled now, arguments against Newsom is that he endorses foreign business interests, illegal Im immigrants, and imposes high taxes against the state, and is to, is to blame for its high homelessness rate. Now, Gavin and his proponents argue that he has kept our economy and our employment strong and is still working towards addressing health care, education, and the state's infrastructure, which we will also talk about in just a little bit. Now, um... Let's just say, let's just say it like it is. Let's address the first elephant in the room. Uh, California is a high tax state. Well, why is why is that the case? Well, part of that reason is Prop 13. Now, this is the state with the highest tax in the nation, including income, sales tax, etc. Now, the property taxes remain low, although. It doesn't really work out in the buyer's favor, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But property taxes remain relatively low, or at least capped, under Proposition 13. Now, on the surface, there's on the surface you would believe that okay, there's a cap on taxing property. Great, sounds Republican. All those conservative, great things, right? That homeowners want to hear. But what they don't know is Prop 13 actually raises the housing market by reducing home sales because there's lack of an incentive to sell. Also, homes are, regardless of the tax rate, homes are going to be more expensive just at cost of purchase anyways in California. So you're paying buku taxes regardless in all reality. Now, it has also led to raising certain other taxes because, again, without property taxes well the thing about property taxes is that is that they would go into help local municipalities counties cities small towns that would be the local resources now again in order to get those funds back for those communities there has there has been a raising of the sale tax to about 7.25 percent there's also a tax on parcels etc now, these taxes, like I said, fund the local communities because, again, Prop 13 caps the property tax rate. Again, so you're not getting you're not getting the extra windfall or the extra extra the extra extra not sorry the extra 
economic benefit from having a little bit extra tax for housing. But again, people have to spend, you know, shit ton for houses anyways out here. So it's not like they're getting away with it. Many businesses over time have discovered a loophole that allows them to avoid reassessment taxes if their business partnership partnership exceeds no more than 50%. So again, people are not paying taxes at all in a lot of cases. Of course, the more wealthy business, like I said, commercial property, so big business, so on and so forth. Let's talk about some more of the issues facing the state. One of them is the cost of living slash the poverty rate. Now, California has the third most homelessness per, per, per capita. Now, that is true. There's a lot of homeless people here. With that being said, homelessness and poverty are the same thing. Poverty is the extent in which you cannot provide housing. If you are homeless, you fall within the poverty category. So with that being said, California has a 13% poverty rate with 5 plus million people living in poverty. Compare that to Texas who has a slightly higher poverty rate at 13.7 with 4 plus million people in, in poverty, a Republican state. We also got Florida, another Republican state as well, with 13% of its population, 13% of its population living within poverty. Now again, I do believe that there is a there is a presence of homeless people, but I think that is used by the right wing media to again drum up more, you know, dissent and just you know to point more of the blame at Democrats. When in reality, poverty and homelessness ride in together. States that are ran by Republicans, we've already went through this, and my worst Republican states have far more higher poverty rates than California. We've already mentioned this. So again, yes, there's a large number of people homeless. There's a large number of people in general in California, and there's there's a lack of affordable housing, and there's a lack of housing. Period. So that's, and again, you have a population that's excess of 35 million. That's going to lead to problems. Five million people homeless. So really what you have here is, yes, you may have some political uh, things going on here. Again, I, the only thing, I mean, again, what, what would lead to, to poverty is low wages and lack of affordable housing, you know, because again, homelessness and poverty you know, it's funny because the, the Republicans are trying to make it as though it's, a, it's its own separate stat, but it's hand in hand. If you are homeless, you are in poverty. So relatively for what it for what, you know, what's going on in the country for the big states, California is on average. Five million people. There's four million people in Texas and Texas is a Republican state, but they're not going to tell you that. Okay, I'm not here to tell you which way to, to side. I'm just going to expose these arguments to you now in terms of um you know some more stats about california one in third one in third of the population do receive some sort of welfare now again lack of affordable housing 
The cost of living is relatively high. Anyways, I don't think you blame, can blame too much Democrat, Republican in terms of that. That's more so corporations. They set the price that they want to they want to pay people. They set the price of the housing markets. Again, realty companies, realty corporations. That's who's responsible for that. Yes, people are going to buy. They're going to spend, and that's going to drive up the amount. You know, spending and all that. And you know, there's of course they're going to tell you economics 101. If there's available housing, then whatever. You know, I I can't say all those things right now. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but again, there's not enough affordable housing, so therefore pricing, again, is skyrocket out here. So again, you have a lot of people not being able to afford housing, so they resort to Section 8. Who do you blame for that? You know, it's the housing market. People are buying, you know, I mean, again, it's, I guess that's what you call free market. That's not a political problem. House, that's that's economics. That's, again, those are corporations. I can't necessarily blame either side for housing prices. That's, again, that's people buying and selling. Uh, California does rank 50th in opportunity, and this is according to usnews.com. So in terms of business opportunity, being able to uh, get a quality, you know, again, uh, your cost of living based on your, co- you know, what you're getting paid, it's not, on par and no, you know, in no real feasible realm. Uh, California is also 49th in affordability, like we said, and 35th in equality. So for all you liberal heads out here, it ain't all that out here. I've always said this. In terms of the state infrastructure, California residents pay about $60 billion annually due to uh, gas, collisions, licensing, and registration fees. Again, this is a very expensive state to live. Repairs due to poor roads. California is ranked 49th in the nation with 35% of roads in poor condition. You ever drove down parts of Oakland? You'll figure that out immediately. Los Angeles and SF are the second and third most congested areas in the country. Now, according to uh, InfrastructureReportCard.com, you know, in general, California energy their their services are rated as a D. Now this is despite having numerous numerous sources of energy, including oil, gas, solar, and wind, uh, the needs are met despite our system being st- stressed. However, uh, their California does have this big initiative to push to clean energy by 2045, and the cost of all this is still unknown. This might put a state, you know, this might put the state into some debt for a while. That's really unknown. Also, residents, because of PG&E and East Bay Mud and all these different private companies, again, capital, you know, capitalism, we've paid some of the highest energy costs in the nation. Now, one positive that uh, the Newsom the Newsom regime or administration in California in general has going for it is the fact that California ranks fifth in overall health care. Cover California does a lot to, you know, provide affordable, at least the information and eligibility requirements for Californians. You can there, you know, you can see a commercial for them daily in the state. Again, California 
again has top-notch healthcare. The only issue is it is 21st in access overall, but it is sixth overall in nation in quality. So good healthcare, you can afford it. They also have first. They're also first in public health resources because they're spending in that. They're putting money towards that. The in terms of you know pollution and those things about quality of life, California does rank near the bottom of air and water quality, but a lot of it has more to do again with corporate pollution, you know, and industrial pollution. Again, who runs the industries? The corporations. It leads back to where it does. We are not the problem for for this. This is not necessarily a political problem as well, although politics do play a factor in what, you know, what is what becomes an issue and what isn't an issue. Now, in terms of the economy, California has the highest median household income in the nation at 80k, but again, cons- considering, you know, the cost of living and the housing market out here, guess what, y'all? That's still pov- in poverty. Who would have thought? California does have the highest GDP of all states at three point two trillion. Uh, the this they also have a higher uh, a higher GDP than all before countries including the U.S., Germany, China, and Japan. So, again, it's very difficult to live here in terms of affordability. Again, there's no real, there's no real quantitative data to really say that that's a political issue necessarily. I think it's more corporations. Again, corporations are doing the hiring. Corporations set what they want to pay. Again, there's a federal minimum wage. There's a state minimum wage. But again, the corporation can give you that on the dollar. And again. $16 an hour or $15 or whatever the minimum wage in California is, it's not enough to provide a living here. Now, also another key, you know, contributing factor pro- that's probably going against Gavin Newsom is things like being last and things like opportunity is having a failing infrastructure. Again, these are all found in all these different states as well, but at the same time, you start to ask with all these, you know, different years and generations, you start to ask, well, when does it really start to change? When is that effort start? Uh, you know, when is there, when is that effort going to be starting to be put out there? Now, as far as the poverty is concerned, we, I already said it, homelessness, again, they're looking to put that as some different distinct stat, and it's not really, again, homelessness lo- looks bad. And that's how they're trying to, you know, they're trying to play that game with it. Oh, look how it looks. But in reality, it goes hand in hand with poverty. And in re- again, if we look at California in general, California is on par with any other big state. Again, no one's talking about the 13 or 4 million people living in poverty in Texas. Why? Why? Because it's because the trend in mainstream, because mainstream is playing both sides is to point out the faults, faults of the Democratic Party, and keep pushing the division on both of these sides. Again, issues like poverty, issues like our energy uh, usage or energy quality or what we're paying, these are all set by corporations. And again, 
a lot of our issues do stem from Proposition 13. And voters, they continue to vote on it every year to go with to keep it in place. Not knowing that because there's no extra taxation in the homes or in terms of property taxes, you're going to have to pay more taxes anywhere else to to have a state government or to be able to provide these institutions for people in terms of schooling. And then you'll have people saying, well, we don't need that. We need everything to be private. You're going to need some type of regulation of that of that as well. You need to be able to privatize. I mean, you're going to need to be able to regulate privatization as well. Again, nobody believes in anarchy, so you're going to need something as a safe net for these people. Again, taxation is probably not the best way, particularly in my opinion. I think income taxation is, you know, theft in a lot of ways. Um, but again, if we're going to provide adequate schools, I'd say we allow we allow our we allow our state funds to go to them again i would like to see or we should if anything before we have a recall or a new governor be put in let's have an audit let's figure out where this money is going california has a surplus to the point where we can give out these 600 dollar checks but our schools are still failing how does that work again it doesn't make any sense and it's not necessarily all political. It's not necessarily Republican or Democrat. I don't believe Larry Elder can fix any of these issues. Republicans cannot fix these issues because they are directly in bed with Republicans. They've always had, I mean, sorry, with the corporations. They've always have been. Everything that they do promotes deregulation. So, again, in terms of the environment, it's not going to get better under Larry Elder. Again, he's a talk show host. What is he really going to do for us? He's a columnist. Yes, he served as an attorney. You also got Jeff Hewitt, another libertarian on the ballot as well. At least, you know, he's a he's been a member of the his county's board of supervisors, so he does have some experience at that point. But again, I just don't see, you know, where we're all I mean again, whoever it is that's going to take over in a lot of ways it's still going to be status quo politics and it, either it's going to fit the republican paradigm or the democratic paradigm either way you slice it, it it's just back and forth i mean both of these parties are here to die you know to just pretty much directly oppose each other they're not really here to change anything for us um, as, as we can see again Republican states have high poverty rates. Democratic states have pro high poverty rates, low graduation rates in both of these different areas, different sides of the coin. It really doesn't matter. A, a Republican is not going to change the economy in California. It's it's going to stay. It's been one of the best and one of the high, well, one of the strongest economies in the world for for decades now under Democratic rule. That's not going to change under Republican. Again, the quality of life and the health care system that was already there. Again, you might see some differences and changes if a Republican or a Libertarian such as Larry Elder gets involved, where you do have more privatization there, where they take away covered California and you don't have that excess to one dollar health care or very low prices. You're going to have to pay maximum dollar for what is perceived to be good health care. But again, America has a pro has been doing private insurance for years and all this and private health care for years and we still do not rank as one of the top 
one of the top countries in terms of healthcare. Make it make sense. We're not an educated populace, but again, they make us pay for higher education. Y'all make it make sense. Again, this country is about making money off of us. Uh, again, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, they find their way to do it. Um, again, if we're talking about, even if the people, talking about the people on Section 8 or living you know, on food stamps, where are they spending their money at still with the corporations? It doesn't matter. The whole point is for us to prop the corporations up with our dollars, with our do our buying power. This money is, is economies and these go governments, well, these this American government is based on transactions, Gover uh, uh, sorry, commerce. Again, none of that is going to change whether it's Republican or Democrat. I do not highly expect the infrastructure to change at one point at some point the poverty rate will not change under larry elder they're not going to address it they're just they just again they complain about the same issues uh but they do it in a different you know way that represents their background but they none of the none of the groups address it based on what we see here none of these none of the democrats or the republicans consistently address the needs of their people in each of these states and each of these cities so there's no point in us arguing about which one is truly better i think they're both trash as i've been saying all right y'all i'm going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll be having a review of course uh, another segment of upon further review this time like i said i'll be doing the right the white lotus hotel all right y'all i'll be right back <music> said i got another edition of upon further review uh this time i got the white lotus hotel it was a limited series on hbo uh this series was directed created and also written by mike white and uh this is pretty much um a satire um and in a way um but there's a lot more to it it's a lot deeper a lot darker uh sexual it gets darker in the end but it's sexual pretty much throughout. There's that sexual tone throughout. And pretty much it's like three groups of people. You have your married couple, the Mossbacker family with their kids. Mark Mossbacker uh, is played by Steve Zahn. Uh, Olivia Mossbacker is played, uh, that's the daughter. She's played by Sydney Sweeney. The mom here, Connie Britton, plays, uh, of course, like I said, the mom, Nicole Mossbacker. She is a CFO. And, you know, this is the rich, you know, white couple with their children. Uh, they have their son, Quinn, played by Fred Hitchener. And then they also bring along Olivia's college buddy, Paula, played by Brittany O'Grady. And then you also have the newlywed couple, of course. Uh, they're coming here, you know, to celebrate their marriage and the consummation of their vows. Uh, you have... Uh, Shane Patton, he's the husband here, played by Jake Lacey, and his wife, Rachel, played by Alexandria Daddario. And uh, you also have an appearance from Shane's mom, 
course, by uh, Molly Shatton. Uh, Shannon, she plays, like I said, Shane's mom, Kitty. And also you have, of course, the single. The single and Ready to Mingle, albeit she's at a different stage in her life now. You have Jennifer Coolidge playing Tanya McQuad. Uh, she's pretty much an heiress. Um, again, for Shane, again, he's super wealthy as well. His family came into money, so pretty much everybody here is wealthy. Of course, like I said, the Mossbacker family as well. And it basically, you know, this this show here, like I said, it was six episodes, but pretty much what it did was kind of highlight their highlighted their stay and kind of how each group kind of intermingled in their character arc throughout the movie, sorry, throughout the series, and also kind of how they intermingled with the other stars of the show. Um, sorry, uh, Arnaz, sorry, um, Armand, he's the hotel manager played by Murray Bartlett and also Belinda. Uh, she's played by Natasha uh, Rathwell, uh, Rothwell, and she looks over the spa of the hotel. And so pretty much, like I said, it's pretty much these kind of like interactions, of course, with the main characters, with each other, and then again also like with the auxiliary main characters, like I said, the hotel lead, and also the spa lead of the motel. So, for example, with the family here, we have uh, we had a kind of like a weird type of relationship with a friend, uh, with the friends Olivia and Paula. We don't know if they're dating or they like each other or they just cool friends. They share a bed together. Not like these things are all that, you know, crazy. But again, what happens is Paula does fall for somebody who works at the hotel, a native of the island. Uh, his name is Kai. And they have this type, this this romance that kind of blossoms. And then it becomes like a, you know, uh, oh, man, you know, I find out about you being colonized. And in a way, because I'm brown, I feel like, I, you know, I'm colonized as well. So they have this connection and it leads down to a very, I don't want to take too much, you know, give away too many spoilers, but it leads to, like I said, Paula, you know, getting close to this guy. Uh, for some reason, her buddy Olivia, you know, they're, she's the jealous type, but very clingy type. So I guess they do have something, they had something going on when they originally got there and while they were there. Uh, but again, Olivia gets very jealous about this new relationship, but Again, Paula and her new boo thing, Kai, get this whole kind of colonialism is bad, you know, type of riff, you know, or connection between them. And Paula, you know, has him do something that's completely out of his character. And because he seemed to be a nice guy, but he ended up doing something out of his character, you know, because she's feeling it. She's feeling something in her brain. And, you know, she's trying to put two to thing, two, two, two and two together and try to figure herself out. And she talks him into doing something very bad over the course of the show. And I don't want to give too much of it away. But, of course, it involves the family that she came with as well. So you have that going on. Uh, and that's just like I said, with the two, you know, friends that came with each other. You have the son, Quinn Mossbacker, trying to find his way uh, with himself, his identity. Um, he came in there really like disappointed because he didn't have a phone with him or anything like that. But eventually, uh, he gets he, well. He makes some friends who are some who well who roll throughout the lot the islands and also the ocean surrounding the hotel and islands. And they uh, are locals again. And he becomes friends with them. And he kind of kind of finds his peace. And he you know at near the end of the the series, 
you know, he really didn't want to engage with his family too much. That doesn't necessarily change per se, but he's definitely more comfortable within himself. And he kind of finds like, you know, a bit of self-identification and he, and his self-expression. And he, you know, he wants to, he eventually wants to stay the whole time, you know, like uh, what I mean is, you know, he wasn't too excited about going on vacation, leaving home. By the time, you know, the last episode rolls around, he does not want to leave. He literally doesn't leave. Uh, so you had that going on, and also, like I said, with the with the the couple, the mom and the dad, Connie and Mark. Sorry, Mark and Nicole. Uh, you have a dynamic here in which, at some point, uh, Mark had cheated on her, and they're trying to build a relationship back together. Uh, Mark finds out some things about his father, uh, his father, and it kind of leads him down to some some sort of a self realization throughout the throughout the series and again like i said the situation that ends up involving kai uh you know paula's love interest involves the father um and in that moment you know at some point they do repair that uh but you again you have that you know that that tenured couple that tenured relationship you know that kind of has been through his rocky moments and at some points you really get tired of that person so you do see that uh with mark and nicole but again, they eventually get their stuff together, and you know these kind these guys, this the family in general, they don't necessarily interact with the manager nor uh, Belinda, who we got the spot as much. Uh, but as for but there is this underlining thing that kind of unravels uh, with our mind because uh, he is a former drug addict, and that is revealed during the course of the show. And he's been fired for many, you know, manager. Well, he's been fired from a manager job before, and that's his thing that's following him. But you know, over the course of the show, like I think around the second or third episode, the girls leave this bag on the beach, and they brought some drugs with them, of course, because they're you know they're white, and well, the main chick is white, and she got the power to get away, I guess, to get away and bring that type of shit on the plane, I guess. So they didn't check her partner. So they were able to bring all type of pills with them on the plane and all that. So they was getting high, enjoying a trip. But what happens is they, they are in, they in they high and they get scared away by, uh, Ta uh, Tanya, uh, Jennifer Coolidge's character. And they end up leaving their bag of the drugs on the beach. This bag of drugs is, is brought back to our mind and uh, he gets high throughout the rest of the series and it leads to, again, his downfall. And uh, it just ends up really bad for him because, um, again, he again he had those issues and it just led to a whole bunch of just random shit with him because he couldn't handle himself. Uh, one of the one of the patrons at the hotel, again, Shane, he catches him in his office in a very compromising position with a staff with a, another member of the staff so uh, that's, and that's all I'm going to leave with that and, and Shane was able to hold that over his head through the rest of the series and uh, kind of use it against him and speaking of which uh, the the newlywed couple uh, Shane like I said he is the rich wealthy uh, I'm not too sure if he's if, if he's made his own you know stake in life just yet per se with the money that he has been born with or if he's just kind of just living off of the wealth still or you know whatever how that goes uh but again he's you know your preppy guy you know he's he, he comes in there you know on vacation expecting to be treated royally like a king and you know i get where a, a person like him comes from especially if he's spending some type of money but you know 
you know, he does come off at many sorts like a prick um, to our mind. And at some point, his girlfriend, Rachel, again, played by Alexandria Daddario, and she kind of feels like, again, with his personality and kind of whether, you know, their situation, especially when his mom comes around, uh, she just kind of feels like she doesn't blend in that well with her family, with that family coming from a working class background, um, from a background where she went to school and was and was willing up until probably the last few episodes, maybe the last episode of the show to kind of do her own thing and be willing to do that. Uh, eventually, she would just kind of just say, look, I'll you're you know i like you i'm ready to do this it kind of fell flat i think there's arc in reality kind of fell flat because she was starting to feel i thought that she was kind of turned the corner and saying maybe i am more than what my relationship is and because her whole thing was rachel's whole thing was you know she did want to be a journalist she did want to get into uh writing some more and you know unfortunately well things happen and what you know, the kind of the twist of fate is uh, one of her articles in which she had written uh, was about Nicole Mossbacker. Again, a, another one of the people that were, you know, of course, staying at the hotel at the same time. They actually came in on the same boat together and everything. So, again, they knew about each other. They were, you know, pretty much in close proximity uh, with each other throughout the trip, throughout their stay at the hotel. So they're they're kind of, you know amongst each other so again they don't necessarily interact with each other the whole purpose was to kind of you know highlight the inner workings of of these of each individual and kind of their sub relationship like again with uh you know shane and rachel their dynamic and how they were going to heal even though i also I, I do also feel like they didn't really have a real compromise or that real conversation other than she's like oh i'm ready to go back to you i'm really happy and you know, and I don't think she was, to be honest with you, but, you know, it was only six episodes, so you can only do so much, you know, people are only going to be on vacation for so long, but, um, but again, just really deep, some really deep layers, again, uh, we talk about, more about Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya McQuad, uh, she, um, she comes in there really devastated because she's dealing with the death of her mom, uh, she had just passed away. Uh, and although she's, you know, really down about the death of her mom, she's also, you know, kind of bringing up the the times that they had together when she was alive that weren't that good either. And um, so she's feeling down about that. She's going through that. And she does end up meeting another guy there. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but around her age. Um, but he ends up, again, I don't want to give too much. He ends up being in a compromised situation again with his health, but, uh, they end up, you know, becoming friends. They end up, you know, she ends up coming out of her, um, you know, her little shell, but her interesting thing is her interactions with Belinda. Again, like I said, the spa, uh, the spa manager, and, uh, they kind of hit it off. They, they had this good rapport and Belinda had mentioned to her about, um, and again, and I guess this is this is kind of what the point of the the series was in a way. So I can't take too much away from it. But again, with Belinda and uh, Tanya's relationship, uh, like I said, they would spark off this rapport and they would get really close. And Belinda would kind of mention that she had these business uh, ambitions and her ambitions of opening up opening up her own spa and wanting to go in business for herself and catering to you know many different types of people. And Tanya, again, being one of those liberals that feel that they can just you know, well, I throw some money around here and make these promises and kind of butter somebody up and you know that's kind of what she did and she offered to help out Belinda 
But again, as the story goes and as the, the episodes went, she got closer to this guy who, just, you know, up and comes out of nowhere that she thought was the BLM, but really was from the Bureau of Land Management. She got caught up with the dick and then eventually by the end of the series, she's completely not even trying to help Belinda no more. And it kind of ends like that. So again, you know, for Tanya, she's not as depressed anymore. She's breaking out of a cycle. Wow, great. But at the same time, she used somebody else. Uh, she left somebody hanging, and she kind of led them on. So you kind of see that. So, again, you see a little bit of a mix between uh, some positive changes, some stagnation here with these characters. Uh, like I said, Quinn, he ends up deciding to sneak off. He doesn't even get on the plane with his family. He ends up, going, I guess, going back to the hotel. Again, with Paula setting people up. Um, it's so many layers to this. If you haven't checked it out yet, I, I, I do think it's worth the watch. There's some crazy scenes in there. I'm not going to get all into them. Uh, but, again, it is it is a deep series. Uh, it hits on some uh, real, again, as a satire, it hits on some real, uh, I guess, some real trends. Again, there's a topic of, you know, again, with uh, Nicole. And just she's talking to her daughter, Olivia. And she's trying to get her to kind of look at her brother's plight. And she brings up the whole white tears, white males, you know, tears situation where they're not in a position of power no more. This, that, and the other. So there's a little bit of those plays going on and those type of situated conversations being had. So there are different conversations here. Uh, you're hearing them definitely from a different perspective. So I get, I, I think for those, for those reasons, it is a decent enough show to watch um, out of a, uh, five star ranking i'm gonna give it a three and a half it wasn't perfect uh by any means but again i, I think some of the roles were pretty much acted really good the story itself seemed to go a good way um again i i just personally didn't like all the character arcs and just kind of how everything kind of ended. i think they could have went in a different direction for some of the characters but solid show nonetheless and if they ever go on vacation again i'll be looking to find out what happens to them too all right, now I'm going to take another quick break and we're going to wrap everything up with an MLB update. I got some news to go over. Like I said, I'm going to be going over some standings as well. So, yeah, just stay tuned, y'all. I'll be right back. Let's get into some MLB news. Of course, uh, the biggest topic around uh, Major League B Baseball are the comments that Jack Moore's uh, Tigers game analyst recently made referring to Angel superstar Shia Otani. Now, he recently, uh, well, on air, he issued an apology uh, about his comments earlier this week. Uh, again, he was asked on broadcast what he would do. Um, in terms of facing Shia Otani as a batter or as a pitcher. And he goes very, very careful in a, you know, Asian accent. Now, of course, like I said, he would immediately apologize for this, after, you know, after he said it. Uh, again, Jack Moore was being a white male. Uh, you know, it 
it has a bad look. Now, Morris has been uh, since suspended indefinitely. I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but he has undergo undergone some bias training, or he will undergo some bias training. Now, again, the right-wing media are going to be quick to tell you that this is another way that, uh, you know, the world is trying to separate us, and it's okay to say these type of things, and the left is, it, they, they're calling for his job, they're calling for his head, they're taking it too far, they're sensitive. Now, this is a direct quote. I'm going to give you two quotes, one coming from a uh, citizen of the Asian community in the Detroit area. And this is going to be the first quote that I'm going to share from you as somebody, at least on this topic, as liberal as you could find. Uh, this is uh, from Dr. Deirdre Pitt. Deirdre Pitts. She's a professor at Oakland University. Again, not in Oakland, California, but uh, in Michigan, and she basically teaches cultural sensitivity. So this is as liberal as you can get. She would go on to say, "All of us had said have said stupid things before, and maybe he didn't realize it was harmful. People need to have the opportunity to learn how to be introspective, to learn about different cultures, to learn what is offensive to others." She would also go on to say that she didn't. He didn't need to lose his job or needs to be fired. Maybe some, you know, some different training or, you know, some different knowledge is fine. But again, as liberal as you can find, a, cult, a cultural sensitivity professor is telling us, no, it's not, you know, it's it's not as harmless as, as, as you know, other places would make it out, make it out to be. He doesn't need to lose his job. Maybe some extra training will help. That's what she's saying here. Now, again, this is coming from uh, this next quote here is coming from Janila Lee. She is a member of the Asian Center of, of uh, sorry. She is a member of the Asian Center of Southeast Michigan. She went on to say, being an Asian American, naturally, when you hear this, it's kind of sad. We have to give this person a second chance. I'd rather him change than him just to be fired. So all this talk of you're going to hear people like Jason Whitlock, you're going to hear, you know, your Ben Shapiro's of the world, particularly because Shia Otani's to this falls in line pretty much with the rest of these comments that I kind of just shared with you. It's not that serious. Don't make it this. They're going to try it because, again, they have no argument. They have no real nothing to go, you know. They have, they have to come up with these boogeyman claims, okay? Again, they're going to talk about how the liberals are going to take this to this some extremes and be heard about this. And again, you might see an example of that. Again, mainstream media, which all these guys are, it doesn't matter if it's Larry Elder, it doesn't matter if it's Mr. Whitlock, it doesn't matter uh, if it's MSNBC and uh Cuomo and Anderson Cooper, they're all paid by wealthy elite people. Whether it's Fox News, whether it's again on the on the other spectrum. It's and and again we are seeing right now where they're using players, they're using these athletes, they're using these people to come up with their own stance about America or about politics. Again, uh, when Simone Biles pulled out again, I, I again because of my comments and not knowing the full story, I will say I apologize. But you'll have other, you know, analysts or whomever you, however you want to call it, 
they'll sit there and say, well, she didn't want to perform because she doesn't like America. She's this, and America's trying to divide us, and, and these these stories that don't make any sense. The liberal of the liberal don't want him to be fired either. They want him to, to learn something from it, but he doesn't have to be fired from it. See, the problem is, is really individuals are trying their damnedest to make this work. But you have these corporate factions, you have these political factions that want to play on race. Whether it's whether it's playing on the fact that maybe racism doesn't exist when it does in certain in certain cases or when it comes to victimizing it. All of this is done for profit. People are going to tell you racism doesn't exist and they're going to get paid for, to say that. People are going to tell you racism is the worst thing in the world. You can't do nothing and say that and knowing that they can go home to a mansion. That's the reality of it. Again, that's why I keep saying both of these sides are really to blame. The Democrats and the Republicans were both one of the same party, one of the same party. These groups were in the same secret societies, Skull and Bones and colleges in Harvard. Look up some of these presidents and some of their backgrounds. They're in the same elite societies. Skull and Bones, Masons, so on and so forth. And I know I'm taking it all out of context. It might seem like it's all out of context, but in reality, these are the people that are controlling this. These are just two. These are just two extremes, and they want you to be on one side or the other. There is no in between. In reality, there's many different ways to look at this. Again, uh, Mr. Morris had no right to say what he said. But if we look at it on the other side, you got Stephen A. Smith talking about, oh well. You know, it's a shame that one of the best players or the faces of Major League Baseball can't even speak English. That ain't right either. And so I see all y'all, all these sportscasters, all these ESPN heads, a lot of these YouTube guys trying to use these athletes. Get off C.A. Otani's nuts either way. You don't got to mock him. You don't got to ridicule him. You don't need to throw no shade at him. The man is leading the league in the most important stat in baseball. Home fucking runs. Get off his dick. He's the bomb. Okay? It don't matter if he can speak English or not. I get the point. He can hit the goddamn baseball. Chie Otani will probably go down as one of the best, but I think what what is going on is is because this is another thing you have to think about Chie Otani as well. He was supposed to, you know, he's this is all like a, a watershed for him because again he came into the league with all these expectations. Oh, he's going to be the next great dual dual threat player. He's going to be able to hit the ball, smack the ball. He's going to be able to pitch the ball. And when he first got it, he really wasn't all that. He had to get into it. He had to grow into it. Now he's the man. Now they are using him in all these different ways to promote all this different shit. uh, And all these different movements. And again, you're going to have these white wing guys. Yeah, look at him sticking to, look at him sticking to the liberals by not taking this so seriously, taking it in stride. Yeah. Everybody else on the liberal side was telling them to do that too. Would have said that too. They said the exact same thing. You didn't have to fire the guy. Now, could he take a sensitivity class or two? Sure. Did he have to say what he said? No. But this is not some great, oh, my God, he's telling the woke people what to Fuck all that shit. And fuck all that victimization. He said, again, what he said sounded silly. And it didn't need to be said. But is it the end of the world? No. Period. But did it need to be said? This needs to be 
brought up. No. No. Okay, you don't need to be doing that. You don't. Because if I brought up an incest joke about white folk, y'all, you know, in a certain situation, it's all about it's all about context. You're not a comedian. It's you're not on stand up. It's not a raunchy movie. It's a baseball fucking game, and it's a world. I mean, it's a world watch sport. You don't think the Koreans that represent Shio Otani want to turn on and hear somebody be very very careful? Nobody wants to hear that bullshit. They're like nobody nobody watching the game. A Latino person watching the game because a lot of them watch it. They don't want to be pandered to with somebody going, "Oh, look at look at my friend Jose. He gonna hit the home." Nobody wants to hear that bullshit. And I know damn well if black folk start hearing some stupid chicken joke or some watermelon shit, they ain't gonna hear that. They not gonna want to hear that. So let it go. We don't need to go there. Don't bring up. Don't stop it. it ain't, if you're not a comedian, you ain't. You know. A rapper, because I guess they can get away with certain things. Again, look at how the people are so divided about little baby and them. I, I ain't in it. We didn't already talk about it. But I'm just saying, <laughs> you ain't getting away with all this in certain contexts. So we need to be able to let that shit go. And again, um, this is this is the apology coming from Jack Morris. Uh, he went on to say, "It's been brought to my attention, and I sincerely apologize if I offended anybody, especially anybody in the Asian community, for what I said." about pitching and being careful to Jose or Shia Otani. I do not attempt for any offensive thing and I and I apologize if I did. I certainly have the utmost respect for this guy. So there you go. He's sorry. He'll he'll work it out. Uh, another story we got coming out of New York dealing with the Mets. It looks like there might be a case of some buyer's remorse with the owner Steve Cohen. Uh, he's recently put out some tweets lately uh, really a bunch of tweets in general threads and just talking about this team. But recently uh, he said, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. Of course, referring to his own team, the best teams have a more disciplined road approach. Excuse me. The slugging percentage slugging percentage and OPS numbers don't lie. And again, this was a few days ago on Twitter. And this was the the response. Uh, one of them, my guy from Mets manager Luis Rojas, he went on to say, he went on to say, we're all in this. The tweet doesn't give, doesn't single out one player. It doesn't single out one coach. At the end of the day, we've got to win games. Some, some are performing better. Some of us are performing better than others, but we're all being held accountable for the team's performance. At the end of the day, we don't feel like a single person is being attacked. Now, again, like I said, that was Mets manager Luis Rojas. Uh, second baseman Kevin Pillar would go on to say, I think for me, I've gotten to know Steve over the past couple of months. He's a new owner in baseball, and he's pa- he's a passionate guy, and he cares very much about us individually. He cares about this team. He wants us to be successful. Now, again, I kind of agree with that. He's just kind of just being hard, you know, on the team because, again, he, I guess he figured he'd be in a better situation, a different situation. But I think he's understanding what his team's growing pains are and which and what they'll need to improve on in the offseason, and hopefully they can address that. Now, by the numbers, yes, his team is struggling. Uh, they have a 6.93 OPS, and that is last in baseball. They have a 380 slugging percentage that is 27th in the league. Oh, I'm sorry, in baseball, and they only have 125 home runs, which is just 26 in all of baseball as well. 
Uh, look at their season right now. They are currently third in the NL East. They are 60 and 61, five games back from the Braves. They are four and six in their last 10. Uh, their last game being a loss uh, in LA against the Dodgers, one to four. Uh, they only have one win in the past five games, and they will be having six more games against the Dodgers and the Giants. Lord help them. That's all I can say. Let's take a look at the standings, starting with the American League. In the East, we have the Rays on top, 75-47, and 7-3 in the last 10, of course. This is going into Friday. Uh, we'll, of course, I'll be back hopefully at the end of the weekend, maybe Monday morning, to go through everything again with you guys. Uh, but again, as of, you know, and then again, we are going into some action right now. Uh, we're at 8 o'clock Eastern almost, so we're into the, the heavy part of Friday's schedule pretty much. Uh, so this is, of course, subject to change, but as of right now, uh, at this point Friday, we have the Rays on top of the East, ALE, 75-47, 7-3 in their last 10, four wins in a row, uh, plus 139 run differential, which is third in the American League. Uh, they are 40-33 and 33 as well against teams that are above 500. The last game was a 7-2 win against the Orioles. Uh, they are also third in the American League in home runs with 168. In terms of some, uh, some team batting splits, they're hitting at a 288, 238 average, which is ninth in the league, 319 on-base percentage, which, which is good enough for six. Uh, they also have a 421 uh, slugging percentage, which is also which is also six in the AL as well. Uh, they also are six, like I said, six overall in terms of OPS in the AL with a 7.40 team OPS. Moving on, we have the Yankees here at 70 and 52, five games back from the Rays, eight and two in the last ten. They are riding a seven-game winning streak. However, their last game was a seven to five, seven to five victory over the Twins. In that one catcher, Kyle uh, Higashioka would have a two-run home run. Uh, you also drive in another run after that. Right fielder Giancarlo Stanton would have a home run. And uh, DH Luke Voigt would bring in two runs as well. Uh, pitcher on the mound, pitcher Jamison Talion got the win. Uh, he's currently 8-4 and four on the year. He went for about five innings of work, gave up five hits, only three earned runs, but he would also have five strikeouts. Chad Green would get his sixth. Uh, six save of the year in that W. Moving on to the third place spot, we have the Red Sox here at 69 and 44, six and a half games back, four and six in the last ten. But they are on a down streak with three losses, down downtrend with three losses in a row. At the fourth place spot, we have the Blue Jays here at 63 and 56, ten and a half games back, four and six in the last ten. They're coming off back to back losses as of Friday, as of today, going into everything, and then uh, they are. Actually, below they're actually sorry 30 38 and 41 uh, versus teams below 500, so that's one of their Achilles heels right here. But they do have some top 10 players, at least offensively. Uh, we have second, sorry, first baseman Vladimir Guerrero Jr., second in uh, OPS in all of baseball with a 1.013. He's just an inch behind Otani, who is at 1.015. He has 35 home runs, a second tier. Second to Otani as well. Uh, he has a three three thirteen average, four oh nine on base percentage, and a six oh five slugging percentage with eighty eight uh, eighty eight RBIs. We also got Tay Oscar Hernandez at the right field spot. He has twenty two home runs this year, eighty four RBIs, three seventeen average, three fifty nine on base, and a five forty four slugging percentage. And of course, at the fifth place spot in the East, we have the Orioles at thirty eight and eighty two. 
Moving on to the AL Central, we have the Chicago White Sox here, 71 and 51. They are 5 and 5 in their last 10. 20 and 25, however, against teams that are above 500. Although they did go recently this week, 3 of 4 uh, in their series against the A's, who, of course, have a winning record and, well, are fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, for them, they have a really good pitching staff led by Lance Lennon. Lance Lennon, excuse me, he has a record of 10-3, and three, uh, an ERA of 2.13, which is third in all of baseball. He has a 1.07 whip and a one point, sorry, a point, uh, 1.99 average. So you're not getting too many hits off him at all. That's just what it is. They have, a really, they have two good closers as well here with uh, Craig Kimball. Uh, sorry, Let's start off with, yeah, we can start off with uh, Craig Kimbrough first with a 1.22 ERA, 22, 23 saves, excuse me, uh, 0.79 whip, and uh, he's only given up a 137 average. Uh, this is the fourth best, best pitching, pitching team in the MLB. Of course, we have Liam Hendricks here as well. He's gone 7-3 and three in his starts. He also has 28 saves, which is second in the MLB. Uh, he has a 0.78 whip, a 1.79 average, sorry, a 0.179 average with a 3.25 ERA and 141 strikeouts. Uh, like I said, back to some team stats about uh, the White Sox. They have a 3.60 ERA. Uh, they have four complete games as a, as a unit, and that is the most in all of baseball as well. They are fifth in shutouts with 11. Uh, they are uh, sixth in team whip with a 1.19, and they are fourth in team batting average given up, of course, or team batting average allowed at a two at a point two two four. Moving on, we have the Indians in the second place spot, not even close, 11 games back, 4 and 6 in their last 10. At the third place spot, we have the Tigers here, 58 and 65. Fourth place, we have the Twins here at 54 and 68. And in fifth place, we have the Royals at 52 and 68. Moving out west, we have the Astros here at 71 and 50, 5 and 5 in the last 10. They have a 164 run di- plus 164 run differential, which is the best in the American League. They are 37 and 23 at home, 34 and 27 away from home, and they are 45 and 29 against uh, above 500 teams. They also have the they are the second best team offensively in baseball with a .775 team OPS. Uh, they also have a, the the best batting average in all of baseball, or at least within the American League, uh, with 266. They also are first in team on base percentage with a 338, and they are fourth in slugging percentage as a team. 437. They are eighth in home runs uh, with 157 of those. They also are first in runs batted in 617. They also uh, they also have over a thousand hits on top of that as well. Uh, moving on to the A's, they are 69 and 53, two and a half games back, five and five in the last 10, 35 and 25 at home. Decent record away from home as well at 35 and 20. However. They do not have the greatest record against teams above 500 at 35 and 38. Behind them, we have the Mariners at 66 and 56. We have the Angels here at 62 and 61. And we have the Rangers here at 40, uh, 42 and 79, rounding out the AL West. In, turn out, in terms of the wild card in the American League, we have the Yankees on top, of course, and the A's. Um, of course, respectively, but in the mix we have the White Sox, sorry, the Red Sox here at 69 and 54, and we have the Mariners at 66 and 56. They've been on the rise. They've been kind of up and down, uh, but recently 
They are eight and two in the last ten. They are three games back in terms of the wild card. They've won three games in a row, and they also have a winning record against teams above 500 at 38 and 35. The last game was a W uh, versus the the Rangers uh, in 11 innings. They they beat them with a score of nine to eight in that game. Uh, sorry, catcher Mitch Hanniger would have a three run home run in the second. Uh, we also got a two run home run from Ty France to cap things off in the 11th, and we also got two RBIs from their third baseman Kyle Seager. Uh, we also got on the mound Joe Smith. He was able to get the wins, the win for the Mariners, uh, two to one. Uh, moving on to the National League, uh, we we're going to start off the course in the East with the Braves. They are 65 and 56, nine and one in the last ten. They are riding a six-game winning streak. They are 26 and 30 versus teams above 500. Recently, they uh, recently in the news they re-signed their catcher Travis De Arnaud to a two-year, 16 million dollar deal. Uh, they well, currently this year, it's one of his better years so far in terms of hitting and all that. Well, actually, he's coming off a better year last year, but still solid this year. 223 average, 277 on base, uh, 553 slugging. Uh, he has 15 RBIs this year. Um, he also uh, has an option. Well, the Braves have, a, have an option on him for the 2024 season as well. Um, in terms of his OPS, it's sitting at a 646 through his 30 through 30 games back from a thumb injury he suffered in May. So he was injured for the major well for a good part of this year. He's come back. He seems to be solid right now. Freddie Freeman, the first baseman, uh, he fit, he hit for the cycle a couple of days ago on Wednesday to be exact. Uh, so uh, what that is is he had a single, a double, a triple. He also hit a home run as well, a two-run home run in the sixth, all in 11 to nine win against the Marlins. Like I said, that was Wednesday. So you got some positive thing go positive things going on for the Braves. Moving on, we're gonna go to Philadelphia. We're gonna talk about the Phillies. They are 61 and 64 games back. Uh, four games back in the division, five games back in the wild card race. They are three and seven in the last ten with four straight losses. They have a negative twenty-five run differential, and they are twenty-five and thirty-five on the road. I think, well, for those of you who do not know, I like to uh, mention the on the road stats and their record on the road because again, if you're not, well, if you don't win your division, you don't have one of the best records. You know, and you know, you don't have one of the better records. You're gonna more than likely have to play on the road. So if you can't win on the road, you probably can't win the playoffs. That's just kind of how I look at it. Uh, but as a team, the Phillies have uh, are a middle of the road uh, team in terms of hitting splits. They have a 2.39 average, uh, 3.17 on base percentage, and a 4.02 slugging percentage. All good enough for eighth in the National League, and they have a team OPS of 7.19. And according to BaseballReference.com, they have a 16% chance of making to making it to the playoffs. So there you go. Uh, we talked about the Mets, four and six in their last ten, sixteen and sixty-one overall. Of course, negative twenty-seven run differential. They are thirty-six and twenty-five at home, uh, twenty-five and thirty-five on the road. So they're kind of just like the Phillies, where they are pretty good at home, but they cannot win on the road. Um, they are thirty-one and thirty-two against teams above five hundred. Uh, we have the Nationals here at fifty-two and sixty-eight, and at the bottom of the East, we have the Marlins here at fifty-one and seventy-one. Moving to the NL Central, we have the Brewers here at 74 and 48, 8 and 2 in their last 10, 27 and 25 against teams above 500. The last game they did suffer a loss, though, to, to the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals will, will score five runs in the fifth inning, and that pretty much will be all they needed. But again, it's only a minor setback. I think the Brewers, they still got enough to, of course, pull it out in the division. Behind them, though, we have a surging. 
um, or at least a much improved Reds team here. 67 and 57, eight and a half games back, or sorry, eight games back in the division, just one game back in terms of the wild card. 28 and 33 against teams above 500, though. Uh, we have the Cardinals here at 62 and 58, 11 games back, three and a half games back in the wild card, uh, but they also are struggling against teams above 500. 19 and 32. At the bottom of the, of the Central Division, we have the Cubs here at 54 and 69, and we have the Pirates here at 42 and 79. And 79. Out West, again in the National League, we have the Giants here at 78 and 43, 8 and 2 in the last 10. They have a plus 143 run differential, which is second in the National League. They're 35 and 25 versus teams above 500. Uh, they have they are a top a top 10 offensive team. Uh, they are sixth overall in that category with over 1,000 hits. They are ninth in Major League Baseball in terms of RBIs with one with, sorry with 568 of them. They have 181 home runs, which is second in all of baseball. And in terms of their hitting, uh, in terms of their batting average, they're tenth with a 247 sorry batting average. Uh, they are ninth in on base percentage, 320 326, and they are third. In all of baseball, in terms of their team slugging with third, uh, sorry, with 437, and they have a team OPS of 763. The Dodgers are right behind them, 76 and 46, two games back, nine and one in the last ten. They are riding a seven-game winning streak. They have a plus 207 run differential, which is the best in all of baseball. However, they are slightly, well, they they have a slightly below 500 record against above 500 teams, 30, 30 and 22. Sorry, 30 and 32 against above 500 teams. Uh, however, we already know this about the Dodgers. Uh, they are surrounded by all-star talent pretty much. First base in Max Muncy, 98 hits on the year, 273 average, 404 on base, uh, 605 slugging. Uh, we have a 972 OPS for him with 28 home runs and also 75 RBIs. We have second second baseman Trey Turner, of course, acquired via trade with the Nationals, 320 320 average, uh, batting average, 367 on base percentage, and a 501 slugging percentage with 18 home runs and 53 RBIs. We got other, we got two other players in the top 30 in terms of offense. Uh, we have right fielder Mookie Betts and also, of course, third baseman Justin Turner. On the mound, we have a top 10 pitcher in Walker Bueller. He has a 12 and 2 record with a 209 ERA, 162 strikeouts. Uh, he's also fourth in WHIP with a 0.94 there, and he also is third in batting average allowed with one eight with a .189. Uh, we also got Max Scherzer, Scherzer, Max, what, Max Scherzer. There we go. I can't say that name all the time. Ten and four. Uh, win-loss record, 269 ERA, 170Ks. Uh, he's actually first in whip, which is, of course, walks and hits allowed per game, uh, per nine innings. He only gives up about .90 there. Uh, he's also first in batting average allowed as well with a 184. Uh, right behind them, we have the Padres. Uh, well, with some ga some games back behind them, we have the Padres. 67 and 56, 12 games back from the from the Giants. Three and seven in the last ten. They're uh, actually three. They've had three losses in a row, and they're currently 27 and 32 on the road. Behind them, we have the Rockies at 55 and 66, and also the Diamondbacks at 41 and 81. 
Uh, let's look at the wild card real quick. We have the Dodgers, of course. Uh, right behind them, we have the Padres. So the season ended today. We'd have a wild card series of the Dodgers and the Padres. The Padres are 31 and 20 against teams above 500. However, they have been struggling against teams like the Rockies and the Diamondbacks in their own division, in which they are just 7 and 18. They were recently swept by the Rockies, and they trailed in 26 of 27 innings against them. That's not a good sign to me. But again, before that, they will also lose three or four games against uh, the Diamondbacks. Now, they gave up a no-hitter loss to its to debuting pitcher Tyler Gilbert as well. Now, in their 39 games, 32 teams that they will be facing will be in the hunt for the playoffs. They will also have 19 games against the Dodgers and the Giants. And uh, they are currently 11-8 against both of them combined. So, I think, you know... The road to the playoffs for the Padres is, of course, going to be through SF and LA. So uh, it's a tough task, but they seem to be above 500, so that is a good sign. In the mix of the NL wild card race, of course, we brought up the Mets. They are six, 66 and 57. Uh, they have three players uh, that are in the top 10 in terms of uh, base. In terms of sorry, ML. In terms of offense, in total in terms of offense. Excuse me. Uh, we have first baseman Joey Votto, longtime veteran of the team, 281 average, 373 on base, 574 slugging, 947 OPS with 97 home runs. He also has 79 RBIs. Uh, behind him, we have left fielder Jesse Winker with a 307 average, 395 uh, on base, and also a 560, uh, 560 uh, slugging percentage. He also has a slightly better OPS with a 954. He has 24 home runs and 71 RBIs. We also got Nick Castellanos here with a 315 average, which is good enough for fourth in baseball. He also has a 373 on base percentage and a 561 slugging percentage. He also has a 934 OPS. And he's currently 10th in the league in doubles with 30. And again, the margin of that is not so not that far off between him and the, and the top player uh, in the league in terms of that stat either. And on the mound, we have a top 10 pitcher as well with Wade Miley. Uh, he's currently 10 and 4 in a year. Uh, and 10 and 4 in a year. In terms of his win and loss, he has a 2.84 ERA. He has 104 strikeouts and a, and a 1.21 WHIP. So again, um, three top 10 players offensively. You have a top 10 pitcher. It's really no wonder that you're in the wild card mix, in my opinion. We also have the Cardinals here at, uh, as well, uh, with with a 62 and 58 record. All right, y'all. I'm gonna call it a wrap for tonight. Like I said, we do have some. Uh, baseball action going on as we speak. So uh, the standings that you're hearing today are just going into Saturday. Of course, I will plan to have another set of st- or go to the go through the standings again, uh, either at the end of the weekend or early in the week Monday. Uh, we also uh, got some NFL preseason action going on right now. We'll get to that. Uh, we also going to be talking about what's going on in Afghanistan with the Taliban taking back over. So a few things to get over, uh, to go over uh, in terms of the podcast. As far as YouTube is concerned, I want to finish, uh, actually say this message. Um, and a big thank you to all those who have uh, looked at or at least um, will help me out and uh, decide to look at my uh, Brian Potter video, my sports stories, my first ever sports stories. Uh, that is my highest viewed video so far by a country mile with over four and a half thousand 
views. And I want to say it happened within the course of maybe two or three days. Uh, but the video itself had been uh, I've been out for eight months. Uh, but I think another good thing about that, uh, a good thing I, I, I want to mention this as well, is because, well, the story itself is, is was about a cold case. And recently, that story has had a conclusion, and it's no longer a closed case, and the proper arrests have been made. And I didn't call it personally. I was a little bit on the fence about what it could have been, but I made sure that I put in all the details that I could, included that. And uh, I think for the most part, people got what I, the gist of what I wanted to say and my, my, my bigger points. And I want to thank people so much for giving a look at that. And if you haven't yet, please uh, do so. Um, again, like it's, it's, like I said, it's one of my highest views. And I think because of just how the algorithm, algorithm works and how the Internet works, the minute you look up something and, you know, it kind of just kind of puts all that in there and it kind of fit into what was going on. And um, I, you know, I I'm really happy for the man, Brian Potter. Uh, the subject of my story that he finally has is justice. And I'm just happy that people could also, uh, you know, found some information in what I said as well. Um, thank you for the people who left comments. Thank you for the people who liked uh, liked it. And um, it means a lot to me because I, I did not, I mean, again, I it's, you know, more and more confirmed for me uh, through things like this happening for me that uh, this is the right decision that I, decision to make in my life and um, I wanted to tell you guys thank you so here's to you know 4,000 4,500 views uh, here's to more and again that's just the start and again um, I didn't think I'd ever get that much on the video at some point so uh, I know it's not I know there's people getting more and all that but for me and what I and what I you know had and had envisioned and um, just my background and, and how I can be with myself. I'm just glad that I can have something to show for everything. And, and I'm seeing something come of this. So, um, this is just the beginning. Um, just bear with me while I get this, uh, process together in terms of my regimen for recording this podcast. But as far as the YouTube is concerned, we are working on a, a, a multitude of different projects uh but the few main ones uh at least the, the two main ones that i'm working on currently at this very moment uh of course is the uh the floyd mayweather career retrospective and also uh my uh summer review uh wwf summer slam so we're taking it back uh to 2000 so my 2000 summer review look for those to be out uh by the end of august early september more likely for uh for Sorry for Floyd because for Floyd Mayweather for the Floyd Mayweather video because uh, SummerSlam is a, an August event for WWE and I kind of wanted it to, co to co coincide with that so we're about uh, almost near the end of August we have a, maybe a couple weeks left so look out for the WWE review also look out for Floyd uh, not too far after that and I've, I've mentioned some college football content as well so we are getting close to that season so look out for all that uh, it will be on the rise. Um, and I probably will start off with some more college football content, starting off with the podcast, with some Top 25 talk and all that as well. So look out for all that. I'll be busy. Uh, once again, thank you for everybody who takes the chance to listen to me, to watch my videos. It means the world to me, honestly. And if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll highlight all you guys later.